Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. This morning, we are going to be looking at 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And uh, before we get there, it's going to be a few minutes before we get there, but you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. Um, but uh, before we get there, I just, actually, I just want to pray. Um, I just want to pray for us here real quick as we start. And um, I just want to ask, would, would, you guys, would you guys just hold out your hands? If you're comfortable, you can just hold out your hands in a posture of receiving. Um, and uh, during worship, I, I actually felt like um, the, Lord, the Lord wanted to communicate something here at the outset um, before we jump into this teaching. And what I... What I felt like he wants you to know is really simple. It's really simple, but if you know it, it'll change your life and it'll be so profound. Okay? And it's, and it's simply this. I felt like he wants you to know that from the foundation of the earth, he knew your name. He knew your name. He called you. He chose you. And every single one of us has a place in the kingdom. Every single one of us has a place of significance. Every single one of us has a place of importance. And so I'm just going to pray that over us as we, as we start here. Father, I just, I just invite you, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your faithful, faithful presence here, Lord. And Lord, I just, pray, I just pray that as we start this morning, would you just release over this congregation, over us right now, Lord, would you release a spirit of adoption? <laughs> a spirit of adoption, God. We're your sons and your daughters, those that were chosen from the foundation of the earth. And Lord, you have a unique assignment. You have a specific assignment. You have plans for every single one of us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, um, how many of you were here last week? A lot of you here last week. So, so last week, um, Pastor Dave started out by framing a question. And basically what he said was, are there ways, are there things that we can do to posture ourselves to receive more of the kingdom? You guys remember him talking about that? And he went on and he actually answered that question and he said that yes, there absolutely are ways that we can posture ourselves to receive more of the kingdom. And uh, he went on and he talked about this idea of stewardship. And you know, he talked about the parable of the talents and he talked about how you know, the one who was given a small amount and hid the talent was actually reprimanded, right? But the one who was given a larger sum and stewarded that larger sum well was actually given more, right? And so the principle is as we steward, as we're faithful to steward the things that God brings into our life, he'll actually give us more. And then he went on and he talked about Thanksgiving. You guys remember that? He talked about Thanksgiving and he talked about how Thanksgiving and hope are intricately linked. And he talked about how as we posture ourselves in thankfulness towards the Lord, 
Not necessarily thankful for everything. Like we're not thanking, you know, we're not thanking God for uh, sickness or things like that. But we're in all circumstances, no matter what the circumstance is, we can have a posture of thanksgiving towards the Lord. And as we do, as we do that, it's a, it becomes a landing pad for the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, this morning, I want to kind of build on what Pastor Dave talked about. And I want to look at another principle that... Um, I believe is so important and is a principle that as we, as we practice this principle, as we operate in it, we actually can attract the power and presence of God in our lives, okay? And the principle is this. I want to look at personal sacrifice, okay? I want to look at personal sacrifice. I want to look at the laying down of our lives and how that attracts the kingdom in our midst. And so I'm going to I'm going to pop up here, guys. I don't think this, it says no clicker on the back. I don't, think, I don't think we have it. Can you advance that, Dan, please? Yep, perfect. Okay. Um, so I want to look at this parable, and um, this is uh, out of Matthew chapter 13. And let's go ahead and just read it together. Um, so it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy... He went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. And it goes on. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, and he sold everything that he had, and he bought it. Okay? And all of us are familiar with this, or at least a lot of us are familiar with this. This is the, uh, the parable of the pearl of great price, right? And uh, the reality is, like, for me, I guess, growing up, you know, this was, this was a... Um, a parable that I'd heard many times. And to be honest with you, I looked at this through kind of an evangelical lens, okay? I looked at this parable, and what I thought it was talking about was that before we know Christ, we, like, we don't know him. And then we see him for who he really is, and we recognize that he's the pearl of great price. And so we give up our old life, and we, you know, we move away from that, and we accept Christ, and we move towards him, and I thought it was talking about this one-time exchange. And I think the reality is that there is, like, that is true, right? There is a truth there. But what I felt like the Lord was really pressing on me this week as I was preparing was that this isn't something that happens only one time in our life. This isn't something that happens only one time in our life. This is actually something that we get to do over and over and over and over. And as we recognize the great value of the pearl, and as we orient our lives to go after the kingdom, to go after the pearl, that sacrifice, that, that willingness to lay down our lives again and again and again and again is actually the place that can attract heaven. And so uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about Melissa and I's personal story as, uh, as we get into this this morning, but I wanted to frame it in that way. I wanted to frame it through this lens and this understanding of sacrifice being the place where the kingdom can come in our lives. And um, I just want to say this. I, I love, I love power encounters with God. I love when the kingdom breaks in in miraculous ways. Like, it's what we do, right? It's who we are around here. But I'm telling you that one of the most powerful ways that the kingdom has come in our lives 
is through simple obedience and a willingness to sacrifice and go after it, <laughs> right? And so um, I want to take you back. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our story. Um, so I'm from uh, north central Iowa. I'm from Clear Lake. And um, I grew up in the church. I, um, actually, when I was a little kid, I was uh, part of the Methodist church. And I think, I think it was around sixth grade, maybe. My folks are here. Was it sixth grade, Bob? I think, I think I was in sixth grade. Um, that we actually transitioned to the Lutheran church. And uh, for me, there was never a time in my life where, like, I can barely remember not going to church, right? I can barely remember not going to church. And I was surrounded by uh, this whole group of believers that loved the Lord, that uh, were laying down their lives for him, that were honoring uh, God with their families, and, and so on and so forth. And it was really a beautiful thing. But the reality for me was that there was still something that was missing. There was still something that was missing. And um, the reality for, for me was that I hadn't met Holy Spirit, right? I hadn't met Holy Spirit. And um, I, I knew, I mean, I knew that the Holy Spirit existed, but I didn't know what a relationship w- was like with him, okay? And um, so, so I'm in Clear Lake. We're going to this Lutheran church. I'm going to fast forward. This is uh, about, I think it was like the fall of 2004, maybe something like that. And um, we're, I, I'm part of the Lutheran church, and um, I'm kind of wrestling through some things. And my mom actually was the one who said it. She said, uh, Andy, I think you should do this class. It's called The Ultimate Journey. Well, actually, at the time it was called Christ Life. Now it's called The Ultimate Journey. And um, I'd never heard of this class. Um, I didn't really understand what it was. But she thought it was going to be good for me. And I was, I was hungry, and so I signed up. And the truth is that God ambushed me. <laughs> God, God ambushed me. I had no idea what was about to happen. And um, my facilitator, my phase one facilitator, was a gentleman by the name of Bruce Overson. And some of you guys know Bruce. He's a, he's a friend of this house. Um, him and Dave served at Teen Challenge together uh, many years ago. And Bruce had come to Mason City to plant a vineyard church. And Bruce was a spirit-filled guy. He heard from the Lord very clearly. And keep in mind, I have, I have, zero, I have zero reference for this. Like, I don't, I don't like, I, I, I just didn't even know it existed. And we're in, we're in phase one. And I can remember one night, uh, Bruce said to me, can I pray for you? And I'll be honest, I thought he was going to go home and pray for me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that he was going to lay his hand on me and pray for me. And I said, well, yeah, sure, I guess that's okay. And uh, he said, would it be okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? Okay, I guess, I guess that's okay. And he started to pray for me. And I had no framework for what was happening, but he was reading my mail, right? You guys ever heard that expression? He, like, he read my mail. And I, honestly, I don't know what he prayed. I don't remember exactly. But I know that he was touching on some things that were happening in my life that he would have no way of knowing if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I was a little bit shell-shocked and um, very intrigued. And something came alive inside of me. And uh, so over the course of the next probably two or three years, I suppose it was, um, I really got introduced to Holy Spirit. And uh, Melissa, so my wife actually had moved to Mason City with Bruce and his wife Mara. 
Um, she had moved up there to be a part of the church that they were planting. Um, and Melissa and I, we met in phase two of Ultimate Journey. We were actually, uh, we were actually affirmation partners, you guys that have done it. Like, we were, aff- we were affirmation partners. And there was this other gal, her name was Jennifer. And the three of us were supposed to be affirmation partners together. And Jennifer, I don't know, I don't know what was going on, but Jennifer never showed up. Like, Jennifer, Jennifer was there, like, once or twice, maybe, and we'd break into groups to be affirmation partners, and it was just Melissa and I. And so we'd, you know, stay and affirm each other for several hours, talking and getting to know one another, and uh, it was, it was a, a, a really beautiful time. And um, fast forward, I, I just want to fast forward here to, you know, kind of keep this going along, but over that couple of years, I ended up transitioning from my Lutheran church to be part of the Vineyard Church, and Bruce really began to mentor me, and he really began to pour uh, his life into me and to give me what he had been given, and uh, something was stirred in me, and something came alive. And uh, a couple of years later, so this was, you know, went on for two or three years, um, and we, we came to this point where we felt we were called to do this school. Um, it was called Vineyard Leadership Institute. It was a two-year school, and um, we felt like we were, we were to move to Ames and to go do that. Now, what I want to say is I had zero intention of leaving Clear Lake. None at all. I loved my home. We lived a mile from my parents. Melissa and I had gotten married. We lived a mile from my parents. And um, if anybody knows me, I, I love the outdoors. I love to hunt. And we were renting. Okay, so we're renting this house. Just crazy story. So we're renting this house, and um, it's an acreage. It's 14 acres, and it's like my total dream house, right? And it's in a trust, and um, I'm praying that someday, someday the Lord's going to open the door for us to buy this thing, right? And so Melissa and I, uh, we're, we're married. We're living in this house. We write this letter to this gal, this woman who you know, is the executor of the trust, and we say, hey, if you'd ever, if you'd ever be interested in selling this, we'd be open to it. We'd love to, we'd love to buy it. And within a few months, all of a sudden, we get the call, and hey, she'd like to sell the house to you. And you know, we're so excited about this. Like we're, at least I was. Melissa maybe was, it was an old farmhouse. She maybe wasn't as excited as me. But so excited about this. And the reality was for us, the door opens up, we buy this house. Melissa at the time, she's a school teacher, so she was a Spanish teacher at Clear Lake High School. Um, she was well-known. She was well-respected. I had started this landscaping company. Uh, my dad actually still runs the landscaping company to this day. And we had this really nice life. We had this really nice life and, honestly, no intention of ever leaving. And then the Lord starts to stir in our hearts to go do this school, right? He stirs in our heart to go do this school. And fast forward, what ends up happening is Melissa quits her job. It, it, it got precipitated by this. She had to sign her teaching contract for the year, and we had to decide, are we doing this or are we not doing this? And we decided that we were going to do this. And so she doesn't sign her teaching contract, and I turn the landscaping business to my dad. I'm no longer running a crew there. And we're moving to Ames, and about the same time, we find out that Melissa's pregnant, Right? And so here we are on this new adventure to go after God, to go after the pearl. We're moving to Ames. We have no job. And I can remember we got down there. We got down there, and, you know, I'm just looking for any job, just looking for a job. And I'm looking in the paper and this and that, and I end up landing this job at 
Heartland Co-op. Um, some of you maybe are familiar with Heartland Co-op. And um, the job that I had was that I was going to be the guy that was dumping trucks. Okay? And so this is about maybe September 15th, somewhere in there. Maybe it was the end of September. I don't remember exactly. Um, but I start this job, and I can remember waking up the next morning. After my first day, I wake up the next morning, and my eyes are matted shut from the soybean dust, and I can't even open them. Like, I'm literally laying in bed, and I'm picking this, like, trying to get my eyes open. And I remember thinking, like, is this the, like, is this worth it? Like, is this worth it? Like, we're, like, we're called to go after God here, and we left everything that we had, and now we're doing this, like, thing, and I have this crummy job, and, like, how's this all going to turn out, right? And looking back, that was actually one of the best decisions that we ever made, right? And the Lord was in it, and he was on it, but the reality was that in the moment, in the process of going after the pearl, it didn't always feel like it, right? Um, I'm going to fast forward a few years here. I can remember another time where, um, so, so we've got this calling on our life, like we're excited about this thing, right? And we're going to go after the kingdom, and we're going to raise people up, and we're going to equip them to, you know, do healing and all, all this kind of stuff. And I was really excited about that, and the Lord was doing that in us. But at the same time, I had this thing going on simultaneously that I really didn't want to look silly. I really, really, really didn't want to look foolish. And so I was resisting the Lord. I really was. I was resisting the Lord. In fact, uh, we were at a conference one time, and this little gal comes up to me, and she's, I don't know, I think she was in college probably, and she says to me, she said, I, I saw a picture of you, and I saw that you were standing on a stage, and you were wearing, you were wearing like a pink ballerina outfit, and, and she said, there, it was the weirdest thing, she said, there's these flowers that were growing out of your head, and every time the flowers would grow out of your head, you'd rip them off, throw them on the ground, and you'd stomp on them. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I felt. And so, in, like, there's this collision, right? There's this internal collision in me where the Lord's calling me to this thing, but I really don't want to look foolish, and I really don't want to look silly. And I needed to let go you know, the cost for me, the sacrifice that was that I had to let go of my reputation. I had to let go of what people thought of me if I was going to walk into the thing that the Lord actually had for me. And so I can remember, uh, it, was, it was a Sunday morning. We used to, this was probably several months later, actually. I'm a slow learner, so it took me a little while to, you know, kind of figure this out. Um, but it was several months later. It was a Sunday morning, and we always used to have these ministry times, and we'd you know, if you wanted prayer, if you wanted ministry for something, after church there was always a ministry team that was, that was up there and you could go confess, you could you know, receive prayer for healing or whatever the case may be. And I knew that morning that the Lord was asking me to go and confess this thing and I knew that he wanted me to confess that I was terrified to give him my reputation because of what I was afraid, like I was afraid of what I was going to look like, right? But I knew that the pearl that the kingdom was the pearl, and I knew that if I wanted it, I had to do this. Like, there was no way around it. And um, so I'm terrified. Like, I'm at church the whole time. I knew it was actually going to happen before I went to church, 
And I'm sitting on the back row, I'm like cold and distant and, you know, trying to do my best to resist God and you know, hope that I'm going to somehow get out of this thing. And I knew that what I needed to do, though, was I needed to go and I needed to find some people that I respected where their, their opinion of me mattered to me. And so when it, when it came time for ministry time, I actually went and I found my brother Dan. And some of you guys know Dan. He goes to church here now. Um, I went and I found my brother Dan. And I went and I found another gentleman um, who, uh, who was a friend of mine. And I said, you guys, I have this thing in me that I need broken off. I know that the Lord's calling me to walk in some things, uh, to you know, walk in training and equipping people, to walk in healing, to walk in all these things. But like this stronghold in me is so big, and I just, I, I, I ha- it has to get broken. And they prayed for me. And do you know what I felt? I felt shame. I felt embarrassed. I felt foolish. I felt silly. I felt all the things that I was terrified of. But the reality was that I was recognizing the pearl, and I was giving up. I was sacrificing. I was giving something up. And you know what that did? It opened the door for the Lord to begin to work. It opened the door for the Lord to begin to work. And I gave him permission. I gave him permission to work on my heart in that. And you know what? There's been a tremendous amount of freedom for me in that. Tremendous amount of freedom for me in that. And I could go on and on and on and tell you all of these stories um, but the reality is for, for Melissa and I, what we have found is that the, the sacrifice, the laying down your life, the being obedient to say, okay, Lord, you're worth it, <laughs> like we're going to go for it, is actually the place where the Lord can really, really work. So um, how many of you know that Heartland is a pretty special place? Is this not a pretty special place? It is. It is such a special place. And I believe that one of the primary reasons that this is actually a special place, that this, is, that this, this house has been built into what it is today, is because of this same principle. It's because of this same principle that Pastor Dave... And so many of the elders and so many of the leaders have made this an absolute priority that no matter what the cost is, no matter what the cost is, we are going to go after and we are going to have the pearl, right? Like this, this is the assignment on this house and they've done such a good job of stewarding that. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. And... Um, this morning, what I, what I want to do, what I want to look at is uh, how we can collectively as a group steward this beautiful gift that we've been given here in Heartland Church. And um, I actually had, so, so I actually had a different message. Pastor Dave asked about, I think it was in August maybe, he asked if I'd be willing to teach today. And I had a totally different message in mind than what I'm giving today. And then about a month ago, um, it, was, it was in worship, 
And I was sitting right over here where I usually do. And the Lord just put it on my heart. He just put it on my heart that I need to talk about the season that we are in as a body of believers. And I need to talk about how we can steward this thing together. And uh, I felt like as I was praying about it, I felt like he said two things. Number one, can you guys forward that? That's okay. You guys, uh, I've heard that this is an easy place to preach because there's so much grace. So thank you. Thank you for your grace. Okay, so, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the season that I believe that we are in as a body of believers. And first off, I believe that we're in a very unique season. So if you can forward that, Dan. There we go. Okay, so I think, I think that we are in an exceptionally unique season as a body of believers. And uh, specifically, I believe that we're in a unique season because we have two generations of leadership that are simultaneously leading together. In fact, if you go to the church website, if you go to Heartland's website and you click on team, you know what it pulls up? It pulls up a picture of all the pastors and the staff, and it's Pastor Dave, and it's Pastor Laura, and then it's a whole bunch of other people who would represent, it's Chantel, like all these people that represent the next generation. And I believe we're in this really unique season we're in this really unique season. You know, we, we just celebrated uh, not too long ago, since Melissa and I have been here, we celebrated uh, the 20-year mark of Pastor Dave's leadership. And we looked back and we celebrated all that God had done. And it was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that this house has seen was awesome. And yet, I believe it also marked a transition into a new season, and this new season of the coming together of the generations. And then the other thing that I felt like the Lord was saying was that we are in a pivotal season. We are in a pivotal season. And, you know, I think, I think it's easy to just assume. I think it's easy to assume, like, man, what God has done here has been so incredible and we just kind of make this assumption, and that's always going to be the case moving forward. We just assume that, like, oh, that's, that's how it's going to go, and Pastor Dave's going to lead this thing, and, like, we're good. But I believe, I believe the reality is that how we, and I mean we collectively, how we steward this next season will impact Heartland's ability to fulfill the assignment that's on this church. Okay? How we steward this is going to affect that ability. And so I want to look this morning, um, I want to look this morning at a, this concept, and we're going to read from uh, Malachi. Before we get into the Elijah thing, we're going to read from Malachi. And um, I want to look at this passage, and it says this. It says, see, so this is, this is the very, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter of the book, and verses 5 and 6 are the last verses of the chapter, okay? So before Jesus comes, this is the last thing that is, that is in the book, right? Next, I mean, flip the page, it's Matthew, right? And it says this, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, 
He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Okay, so what's being said here? He's saying that there's this promise of the future Messiah. There's this promise of Jesus Christ coming. And he says, before he comes, I'm going to send someone who's going to turn the hearts of the fathers and mothers towards the children and the hearts of the children towards the mothers and fathers. Because why? Because if he doesn't, if that doesn't happen, the principle is if that doesn't happen, then when the Spirit comes, it can actually be more destructive than constructive, right? And I believe that what the Lord is wanting to say this morning and the principle that we can pull out of this is that generational unity, generational unity, the the hearts of the fathers and mothers turn towards the sons and the daughters and the hearts of the sons and the daughters turn towards the fathers and mothers is the place that can safely contain a move of God. It's the place that can safely contain a move of God. And we should all care very deeply about that, right? We should all care very deeply about that. So, okay, we're, we're finally getting there. I told you we were going to get to uh, Second Kings, and we are finally getting there. So um, we're going we're gonna to go to Second Kings here. And what I want to look at is the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? And the passing of the mantle from Elijah to Elisha. Many of us are familiar with this story, um, but I want to pull a few things out of this. So I'm going to bring you up to speed. Before we read it together, um, I'm going to bring you up to speed. And uh, so a few chapters, a few chapters before this, Elijah comes on the scene, right? I think it's maybe chapter 17 or something like that of 1 Kings. And Elijah comes on the scene, and Elijah just has this crazy ministry. He has this crazy, incredible, anointed powerful ministry and he's confronting Ahab and he's confronting Jezebel and he's calling the people back to God and he's calling them to abandon the idols right and there's this all this power all this crazy stuff that's on his ministry and Jezebel doesn't like that very much you guys remember that she didn't like that very much and she says that she's going to kill him and so he takes off, and he's out, and he's in hiding. And as he's in hiding, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, I want you to anoint so-and-so as king, and another so-and-so as king. Sorry, I can't remember what their names were right now. There's these two guys that he wanted to anoint as king, and then he wanted him to go, and he wanted him to find Elisha, and he wanted to call him to call Elisha to be his successor. You guys remember that? And so he goes and he finds Elisha and Elisha's out in a field and he's, you know, he's got his oxen and he's plowing and he takes his cloak and he comes up to Elisha and he throws his cloak over his shoulders. And the significance and what he's, what he's saying is, I'm calling you to come alongside of me and to carry the mantle that I now carry. And so Elijah, Elisha responds, he Uh, He kills his oxen, he burns his plowing equipment, they have this meal, and away he goes. And for the next seven or eight years, 
he travels with Elijah. And they become a duo, right? They, wherever Elijah goes, Elisha goes, and the idea is that he's being raised up. He's being trained up. He's being equipped. Elijah's equipping him. And so where, we, where we're going to pick this up in 2 Kings is after this time period and uh, where Elijah is just about to get taken up to heaven. So let's read it together. So it says, now, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Okay, so what's happening here? So these guys are prophets, right? Prophets seem to know a lot of things. And Elijah's going to heaven, and he knows that. And Elisha seems to know it. And the sons of the prophets also seem to know it. They all, like, there's no secret about what's happening. But Elijah is under this impression that, hey, I've, we've been walking together for, you know, whatever it was, seven or eight years. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to peace out here, and why don't you just, Elisha, why don't you stay here? I've given you everything. Like, everything that I have to give you, I've given you, we're good. And Elijah goes, or Elisha goes, no way, right? No, no. He says, no, I'm going with you, right? And then it goes on. Uh, so we'll keep reading here. So Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and it, uh, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Okay, so this is basically the exact same narrative, but in a different spot, right? Same thing's happening, now they're at Jericho. And again, Elijah is saying, Hey, it's, we're good, why don't you stay here? And Elisha's saying, No, I'm, I'm going with you. Okay, keep, let's keep going here. Um, and then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went out and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. And then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water that was parted, uh, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, Till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Okay, so again, we see Elijah saying what? Hey, stay here, right? Stay here. And Elijah saying, no way, right? No way. And I, I want to draw a principle out here that I think is so important for us to recognize in this season at... Heartland Church. And it's this. I believe that Elijah thought that his ministry to Elisha, he thought it was over. He, he, he didn't recognize it. And Elisha was recognizing that, no, no, you are still carrying something that I don't yet have. Right? And so I want, I want you, if you are a 
you know, mother or a father, if you, would, if you would identify in this house as somebody who would be like an Elijah, I want you to recognize this principle that some of you, the truth is that some of you carry so much. You carry so much and you've carried it for so long and you've carried it so well that you don't recognize, you don't recognize what you actually have on your life. And I'm, I'm telling you that the Elishas of this house, the sons and daughters of this house, we need what you carry. Amen. We need what you carry. Okay? So let's keep reading here. Okay. So it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you. Uh, before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by, by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Okay, so I want to unpack. This is, this is a really a power-packed little paragraph, and I want to unpack this a little bit. So the first thing that we see happen is Elijah begins to recognize that Elisha is actually wanting something, right? He's actually asking for something, and Elijah, his heart as the father is turning towards the son, Right, And he's saying, Elijah, like, what is it? Before I go, what is it that I can do for you? And Elijah, Elisha says, can we click forward here, Dan? One more. So Elisha says, he asked that question, and Elisha says, please let there be a double portion. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And I think it's important that we understand what Elisha is actually asking for here. I think many times this passage gets interpreted as this understanding that Elisha is asking to walk in, you know, double of what Elijah walked in. He's asking to walk in, you know, double the anointing or double the miracles or whatever the case may be. And I do think there is an application there for this for sure. But I think what Elisha is actually asking for here, he's actually asking for an inheritance. He's actually asking for an inheritance. And in traditional Jewish custom, what would happen towards the end of a father's life, he would gather all of his sons together and he would pull them in and he would you know, pronounce a blessing, and typically the oldest son would get a double portion. He'd get a double portion. And the idea was that the father had stewarded this thing that that family was called to. He'd stewarded the thing that the family was called to, and he'd done it well. And he was giving his son a double portion for the sake of carrying on his legacy, it was for the sake of him carrying on to be, to be able to be a good steward for the thing that the family was called to. And what Elisha is actually asking for here is an inheritance. 
He's asking for that inheritance. He's saying, I've walked with you for seven or eight years. We've walked together. You've mentored me. You've poured into me. But the reality is you still have something that I, like I need the thing that you carry. And he's asking for his father's blessing. That's what he's asking for. I believe you guys, it's easy to think that, you know, this is just kind of nice words or things like that. But there is a real and a powerful transaction that happens when a mother or a father blesses a son or a daughter. I can remember one time, uh, we were, Melissa and I were at a conference, and uh, we, were, we were in Urbana, Illinois, and we're at this conference, and the, uh, the pastor of Heartland Vineyard Church in Cedar Falls was at this conference. Him and his wife were there, and Heartland Vineyard was actually the church that our church in Mason City was planted out of and our old church in Ames was planted out of. And um, there, there was an incredible legacy from this guy's ministry. And he had sacrificed a ton. He'd you know, given up a lot. They'd moved from Arizona. They'd followed the Lord. And there's this beautiful ministry that was, uh, came as a result of their sacrifice and their stewardship. And I was just, we're at this conference, and I was just recognizing the, the reality of how powerful it was that he sacrificed but I got the gift like I got to walk like he was the one that that paid the price for it and I was walking in stuff that he actually paid for and I I remember I went to him and I said Dan I said I I just want to tell you thank you I want to tell you thank you for the ways that you've sacrificed the way that you've poured out your life, and I just, I recognize that so much of what Melissa and I are graced to walk in is a result of you, like what you've paved the way for. And I thanked him, and then I asked him, I said, Dan, would you, would you pray for us? Would you be willing to pray for us? Like, could we just, like, could, could we, could you, could you bless us? And I honestly, I I don't have any idea what he prayed because I was a weepy, absolute mess. And he took my head in his hands. He put my, he put his forehead on my forehead. And he blessed me. Like a father would bless a son. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you that there was a spiritual transaction. (laughs) I'm telling you that there was something that took place when he prayed for me. And looking back, we began to walk in things that we were not walking in before that. We began to walk in ways that we were not walking in before that. There was a real transaction. There was something powerful that happened. And I just want to say that like for many, for many of you around here that are fathers and mothers, I believe that you carry the kind of authority <laughs> to give this kind of a blessing, right? To, to give this blessing to the children of this house. Let's keep going. So, uh, so Elijah, so he, he asked for the double portion, and he, what's, he, what's Elijah say? He said, you have asked a hard thing. You've asked a hard thing. Now, I don't think what Elijah was saying here was that it was going to be difficult for him to give the double portion, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he was saying that 
it's going to be difficult for you to walk as Elijah, right? He's saying this is a difficult assignment. You want to carry this mantle? You want the blessing? You want to walk in the, like the family legacy? You want, you want my mantle? You want this double portion? He's saying that is a sacrificial and costly thing to ask for. That's what he's saying, right? That's what he's saying. It's the pearl of great price. He's saying, he's saying you, if you want to do this, you're going to have to see the value of the pearl. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And then it goes on. So Elijah, you know, the chariots come. Elijah's gone. And it says Elijah. So he took, it, he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. Okay, so what happens here? This is, this is interesting, isn't it? Don't you find it odd? Like, why didn't, why didn't Elisha just take his cloak off? Like, why did he rip it? Right? The reality is, I think, number one, I think that's a sign of grieving. But what's he do? He rips his cloak. He rips it. And he goes and he picks up the cloak of Elijah that has fallen. And he takes it to the Jordan and he strikes the Jordan, and what happens? It parts. What's he, what's he doing? He's making a statement. He's making a statement, and I think what he's saying is this. I am no longer my own story, but I am a continuation of my father Elijah's story. He's making a statement, right? He's not thinking about himself He's saying, okay, I'm going to pick this mantle up and I'm going to carry it. And he strikes the water and like there's this symbolic thing that happens. It's like the same thing that Elijah did. Elisha now is walking in. And um, I just, I want to say for for us this morning, I just, I, I believe that this story and these principles are so important. They're so important. They're so important for the season that we are in as a church. The unique season that we're in for as a church. The pivotal season that we are in as a church. And I just want to say that if, if you are a mother or a father, I, and, you know, I, realize, I realize that this isn't perfect. I realize that not all of us are going to identify perfectly as mom and dad or you know, not all, not all of us are going to identify perfectly as sons and daughters. Like for me, the reality is I identify at least at some level with both. But I think there's this, this important thing that we recognize for those of us that have been around here for a while, for those of us that have been a part of the culture here at Heartland, for those of us who have experienced the moving of the Holy Spirit, it is so important that we recognize the need to give this away, to give, it, to give it to the next generation. You know, I'll say this. I, 
I think that one of the secrets of this house, one of the secrets of this house, one of Pastor Dave's, uh, the, one of the biggest things that he does that gives him more in the kingdom is that he gives away everything that the Lord gives him. You guys ever notice that? Do you notice that? He gives away, like, that's just what he does. Like, he leverages his own, you know, authority. He leverages his own position for the sake of giving away the kingdom. And as he does, he gets more. That's, the, like, that's how the kingdom works. You can't outgive God. And um, I just want to say, too, so, so there's this, this uh, responsibility for mothers and fathers to give away that which we've been given. And there's also this responsibility for sons and daughters to recognize the beautiful gift that we have been given and to say, I'm not just gonna receive the blessing of this, I'm gonna take ownership of this and I'm gonna take responsibility for this and I'm going to steward this moving forward. At the beginning, at the beginning of the message here, I said that everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a place at the kingdom, right? Everybody has a place at the table in the kingdom. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that he has a place for you. (laughs) He has a place for you. And Heartland, we need you to take your place. We all need to take our place. We all need to take our place. Because if we're going to steward this well, we have to. Right? Okay, so, so here's, here's how I want to end this. Um, I want you to think for just, just a second here about the role that you see yourself in. Are you a son or a daughter? Are you a mother or a father? Maybe you're both. That's fine. And I just want you to ask the Lord here. Let's just ask him, like, Lord, Lord, what, what are you calling me to? Am I called to be a, a mother and a father here? Am I called to be a son and a daughter? And I just, uh, I want to start with this. I want to start with this. I just want, if, if you feel like you are somebody who is a mother or a father here in this house. Like you've, you've been around here maybe for a while. The Lord's done some thing in, things in your life. I'm not going to put a qualifier on it. I'm not going to put a you know, certain timeline or anything like that. But if that's you, would you guys just, would you stand up? So if you're close to them, can, can you just lay a hand on them? If you're close to them, just lay a hand on them. And um, I guess I just, I, I want to say this. I want to say to those of you who are mothers and fathers here, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for paving the way for the kingdom to be so free to move here in this house. And
Guys, we're just going to pray a blessing over them. So, Father, I just I thank you. I thank you for the mothers and the fathers. I thank you for uh, those that have gone before us. Lord, I thank you for the pioneers that have uh, so adeptly pursued the pearl of great price, that have so adeptly pursued the kingdom, who have been so willing to lay down their life, to sacrifice, to go after it. And, Lord, I just pray, I pray even right now just for the, uh, the blessing of the Lord to be upon them. Lord, let the blessing of the Lord be upon them. And Lord, I pray, I pray specifically for vision. I pray for vision for this next season. Lord, I pray that you would put vision on them, that you would give them vision for this next season, how they can steward the thing that you've given them, how they can give it away, how they can do it well. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for mothers and fathers. We recognize, Lord, we recognize that none of us gets to where we are without those that have gone before us and give it away. And we love, Lord, I love the economy of the kingdom. I love the economy of the kingdom that we, that we get for free that which somebody else paid a high price for. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for these mothers and I thank you for these fathers. This morning, um, I just got up early and I was, I was praying and I was just asking the Lord um, if he had anything specific for this morning. And what I felt like he said was that there were some mothers and fathers here that the enemy's been coming against you. And specifically, I felt like he was, um, the enemy was coming against you because you have uh, your, your own kids, your your, your actual biological kids who are estranged in some way or they're away from the Lord. And I felt like specifically the Lord just wanted to address that. And I felt like the enemy was trying to come against you and uh, he wanted to use that as something that was a disqualifier. That what was happening was you, you were, in some ways you were agreeing with the enemy based on what you perceive to be a failure as a parent and the enemy was disqualified like you were taking yourself out of the game because of that reality and I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know that that is a lie from the enemy that is a lie from the enemy it is a lie from the pit of hell and so I'm just gonna as we as we go here I'm just gonna break that off of you Lord I thank you I thank you Lord that the only qualifier in the kingdom is a humble and a submitted heart that loves you and wants to give away the kingdom of God. And Lord, I ask that for those, for those that are wrestling with that, for those that are struggling to take their place as mothers and fathers, Lord, I ask that you would uh, break that off right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.